Welcome to Mission Viejo Christian Church. Today, Pastor Mike Maiola is bringing the word to you. So open up your Bibles and listen in. Thank you, Stephanie. All right. Everybody ready? Have your word open. We are going to be in Daniel chapter 8. Now, I just want you to just think about the moment when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, man. Remember that day? Aren't you glad to be saved? I mean, think, think about where your life would be if you didn't have Jesus in your life. I'd be dead. I wouldn't even be here. I am just so grateful because of God's grace and mercy and love that He accepted us, He loves us for free, and He gives us a whole new purpose for living. I'm convinced that we are looking for a love that's for free, a love that will never leave us, and a reason to wake up in the morning. And the fact that Jesus Christ came into our life, not because we deserved it, but because he gave it to us for free, makes us want to live for him. Now, I'm just a firm believer that in the midst of whatever's going on in life, there's always hope, man. There's always hope. And my, my prayer today is that we look at this text that is a prophetic word, back in the day for not only in that day, but in our day, that we will be in awe that we have an amazing God and that he's going to give us some specific instruction about what to do. About 30 years ago, there were some folks that were praying for this area, particularly here in South County. There would be an explosion to the gospel that there would be an awakening of God's people to how great God is. And it just becomes contagious to those that were absolutely lost, just like we were all lost, right? At one point, we were all lost in our life. Jesus found us, and we're so grateful that he found us. We just want to tell everybody about that. We want to live in such a way that it causes people to think about where they're at in life and where they'd like to be, and that Jesus can turn anything around. So as they were praying and asking God... um, about 15 years later, my years, 15 back, I had um, heard that these folks were getting together and they were praying. I wasn't even saved back then. So at that time, they were praying for God to do something. I had hooked onto that prayer and hooked onto that passion in such a way that, man, I just want to see a new city. I want to see a new South County. I want to see people that are awakened to God. Awaken to the things of God. Awaken to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this requires something within us who say we believe in Jesus to really drill down and become absolutely devoted, 100% committed, and without any reservation, we love Jesus with all our heart. Man, I I envision the church to just be a bunch of messed up people who found Jesus and want to help other people from the Messiah who can clean up any mess, and, and we just want to give the love to everyone else. It's not really about church and protocol and rules and religion and regulations. I'm done with that, dude. I I didn't even grow up with that stuff. I feel sorry for folks who are stuck in religion, stuck in legalism, stuck in the fact that you can't do this, you can't do that, we're against that, we're against this. I see Jesus as he was for people. Jesus Christ took somebody where they were, he loved them, and then he gave them hope. In the midst of following Jesus, sometimes, sometimes we can lose hope. There's these moments that come crashing down that oftentimes it feels like, God, you're not there. I was walking through the parking lot about six years ago of of City Hall, 
and I saw a sea of people. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is that? He said, that's National Day of Prayer. I want my people, my people. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 came to my mind that God had spoken. I want my people to pray together, to humble themselves, to seek my face and to turn from their wicked ways and I will come and heal their land. So as soon as I heard and saw that, I'm like, God, I'm on it. I'm on it, baby. Whatever you want, God, we want to do everything in prayer. We don't want to stop. We don't want to flinch. We don't want to let the enemy take captive any thought. We want to be so absolutely focused at what you said, Lord. Your house should be a house of prayer for all nations. Everybody's welcome into the kingdom of God. And so prayer is the, is the basis for all that. Can I just say, after 15 years of praying and asking God, there are moments, God, it feels like you're not doing anything. It feels like you're not there. You ever been there? God, I've been praying for this marriage to get better. It feels like the more I pray, the worse it gets. We've been praying for our family members to come to the Lord, and it seems like the more that we pray, the farther they go. God, we've been praying over our financial life that, God, we would get our head above water, that we would get out of debt. And it seems like every year in South County, it's just harder and harder to live here. And we're doing the best we can. I'm giving my first 10% back to you, God. I'm working as hard as I can. I'm trusting and I'm obeying and giving generosity to, to those who need it. And it just seems like, God, why is it so hard? It feels like you're not there. It feels like you're not working. I'm sure there were moments in Israel's life that even they were called by God's name. They were God's people. They were God's chosen people to bring forth the Messiah. God was protecting Israel, even though he allowed Israel to be disciplined when they fell away from him because he loved them so much, he loved them enough to wait on his timing. I want things on my timing. I want things the way I want them. I want things now. And God says, you don't get everything now. Just like parenting, right? For those, that, for those that are parenting or grandparenting in this room, have you had children and grandchildren that want it now? And what do you say? You can't have it now because you know better. And for those of you that are thinking of having children, don't do it. No, I'm just... It's a fun journey along the way. But there are moments you know what's best. God knows what's best. I got, you know, if you're looking for a church... This may not be the one because I just want to be extremely real with you. Your pastoral staff sometimes struggles with this. God, where are you? What are you doing? You seem so far from us. God, I've drawn near to you, but it seems like, God, where are you? A dry wasteland. I just finished a book called The Evangelism Recession. It was back in the day that you could have a gospel meeting and call for people to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Man, the Holy Spirit would move and people were touched and changed and they come forward and find Jesus. No longer are those days, man. It's like you got to preach 3,000 sermons for one. It just feels that way. And if I'm not careful, I can lose hope. Jesus said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never, never, never. The Greek word for that is ume. That's the key word today. What did we learn? What is God's word? Ume. Everybody say ume. ume. That means never, never, never will I leave you. Even though you're in this dry wasteland, even though you've been wronged, you've been betrayed, you're in this tough spot, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, ever. 
Hence, we find ourselves in the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of the most amazing prophetic books in the entire Bible. It's almost like the centerpiece of history and God seeing history unfold. And then our our uh, future unfolding in light of God's sovereignty. I want so much for you today to be encouraged. I want you to have hope. I want you to be able at the end of these next 22 minutes to go, our God is an amazing God, and I know that he will never leave me, and these are things I'm going to do live, living in light of that. Is, is that cool? So just, I, I need to go back because this clash of kings if you were here uh, a few months ago, we studied the book of Daniel together, went through chapters one through seven, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you're not getting out of this that easy. Finish the book. <laughs> so that's why we're back in it. We need to fin- I, 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 Can I tell you that I've struggled with this? I don't want to finish the book. But God said, finish the book. So s- there's one or two people in here that hopefully need this. Chapters one through seven of Daniel, I just want to bring us up to speed. Stay with me in these next few moments Israel had fallen away from God. And, you know, just like we do at times, none of us is perfect. None of us is what we ought to be. And so Israel fell away. God did not want them to stay in that state. And so that's why he allowed the Babylonian rulers and the Babylonian nation to be able to to take over Israel. And so God allowed that. The king's name was King Nebuchadnezzar. Interesting that Nebuchadnezzar actually means prophecy. God can use an ungodly king for his good purpose. Somebody say amen. Amen. In the midst of them being literally the Israelites pulled out of their homes, out of their businesses, out of their comfort zone, out of Jerusalem, into now this Babylonian captivity, some of the people they killed and some of the people they took captive and put them in prison. They looked for the most elite, the ones that stood out above the rest. It's interesting that any time that there's persecution against God's people, God will always come through for the remnant. There was like this small band of people that said, come hell or high water, we will not renounce the name of Jesus Christ. So much so that there were Daniel and his three friends. But King Nebuchadnezzar saw them and said, these guys are great. So I want, it, I want them to, to know that Babylon, Babylonian people, Babylon is so much better than Israel. So they gave them the best of the best. They gave them the places of honor. He wanted them, King Nebuchadnezzar, to know that this is so much better than your homeland. He wanted to turn them into Babylonians, just like the enemy today. There's an undercurrent within our society, right? We live in Babylon, Here's the question, are we going to stand up when everyone else is bowing down to the earthly kings and earthly ways? Daniel was willing to do that. And so in that moment where there were three friends, they decided, we're not going to take from the ungodly king. We're not going to partake in what he's telling us to do that's ungodly. They didn't do it in an arrogant way. They did it in a very humble way. Hey, um, that food that you're offering to the false gods and the altar... We don't want to do that. So could we stay true to the law, to the word of God and eat our own food? And the king, because he wanted so much for Daniel and his friends to be on their side, he said, of course. Hence, we find ourselves in chapter two. The king's had a bad night. He's been up all night. He's had a dream. He can't figure out the dream. He calls all of his sorcerers. He calls all of his men into this, this, this entourage of his palace. And he says, I had this dream. Can you guys figure it out? King, we can't figure it out. He was such an evil king that he actually destroyed his soothsayers and their families because they couldn't figure out the dream. He says, you know, I remember this guy in my kingdom. His name is Daniel. I don't know much about him. I don't know much about the Bible, but he's a God man. 
He's a man of God. So bring him into my quarters because I got this, this dream is so plaguing me. I got to know what it says. Daniel comes into the presence of the king, the earthly king, and he gives them the interpretation. So question, where did God, where did Daniel get that interpretation? He got it from God. Because he's such a man of prayer, because he's so devoted to God, God spoke to him in ways that was to be used for his purpose here down on earth. Now, let's just not forget the people of Israel who are probably, God, where are you? What are you doing? You've left us, God. We're in Babylon. We don't like it here. God has a man that he can count on in the midst of all this evil, that he will bring about his purpose and his plan. So in the midst of this dream, he has this crazy dream of this, this, this great statue. It's, it's a head of gold. It's a, uh, uh, the torso of, uh, or the, the neck and the arms of silver. The torso is bronze and the legs and the feet are iron. There are four kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, that will come to pass. Then there's this huge rock that comes from heaven and smashes the statue. Are you with me? Stay with me. He explains to the king, these earthly kingdoms will fail. You're one of them. You're at the top. You're the gold. You're the Babylon. You're, you're mighty and strong. But unless you bow down to the Lord, you're going to be smashed into pieces. It's just a visual of what was to come. Man's earthly kingdom will not reign. It won't. We need to stop looking for an earthly person to fix all this. There's no earthly person that can fix the world. It's only Jesus Christ and him alone because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. So he gives them the interpretation and King Nebuchadnezzar believes that he is still the most powerful at the top. Hence we have chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar is in power He's got all the accolades. He's got all the control. And so he sees himself in the light of that dream as the one that the statue was made for. So he builds a statue, has his men build a statue for him. It's huge, made of gold. Everybody in my kingdom, when you hear the music, you must bow down. Remember this from some of your Sunday school days? You must bow down to me, the music plays. And in a sea of people that are bowing down, there's three that stand tall. Their devotion, their commitment, their honor, their heart. We will not bow down to the kingdoms of this world. We only bow down to one. The king is so enraged by this he has to set a precedence. He has to make a statement. He has to make them an example. So he tells them, not only are you going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, but we're going to whip up the heat, baby. You're gone. You're toast. And so as they look through this glass door that's in the fiery, in, uh, right through the fiery furnace, they see three men, but wait a second, there's one. There's another man. We know it's a Christophany. It's Jesus who's standing right with them. I, I just need you to see this morning when it feels like the world is crashing down, when it feels like it's not working out, when it feels like God has left you, he's never left you. Jesus was right there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter 4, Daniel is now about 50 years old. 
King Belshazzar takes the throne. He has another dream. This huge tree that's expanding over the globe and the tree is cut down. Daniel interprets the dream that he is to humble himself before God. Isn't it wonderful that God always gives us chances? God is not a vengeful God that wants to bring havoc on our life and destroy us and execute us. He's a loving God. He wants us to come to him, but he doesn't force us. He wants us to come to him from the heart. This is the king's response after Daniel gives the interpretation of the second dream. Is this not the great Babylon that I built? And the king, because he takes his stand on his own throne, a little bit later in that chapter, he goes, literally goes insane. He thinks he's an animal. He goes out in the middle of the wilderness and he becomes like a beast. It's just a beautiful imagery of when we turn away from God and we reject God, he leaves us to our own. And if we're left to our own for any ex expanded period of time, we're in trouble. I mean, I was just like that. I went insane, not literally, but I was just to my own, living like an animal. Without God, I cannot find, I can't find my true identity. When we find our identity, that's why we can sing these great songs. We're no longer a slave to fear. We're a child of God because of his goodness. And the king forgot that. The king never clamped onto that. So now we find ourselves in chapter 5, in 539 BC. Daniel is now probably in his early 80s. Babylon falls to Medo-Persia. It's just amazing how God gives us prophecy. We can look back in history and we can see, man, you are an amazing God. All four of those kingdoms came to pass. And the most powerful one was Rome, right when Jesus was born in the midst of all that. It's just, the Bible's amazing. And in, all, in the midst of all that, God loved them enough to wait. He said, God, why aren't you doing it now? Because God has a timetable. King Belshazzar loves to party. He's the grandson now of the king, and he loves to party. The wine is flowing. He's got everything the way he thinks it's going to go down. And all of a sudden, there's a handwriting that appears on the wall literally by a hand, and there's a message. And once again, Daniel comes for the interpretation. You have been found wanting. You are so needy of God, but you missed it because you did not open your heart to the real God. God will not bless your kingdom. And so that night he dies. Not only does he die, but the Medo-Persian army comes in to destroy Babylon. They were already plummeting their way under the city walls into the great Euphrates River as that prophecy was given. It's just another testimony that God is sovereign. When you feel like he's not there, God is there working. Which leads us to chapter 6. Daniel's a man of integrity. People are jealous of him. No praying. Come on, stay with me in this. This is really important that we get this. No praying in my kingdom, only to me, the king says. What does Daniel do? He goes up to the high tower. He goes into his room. He looks through the window, and he prays to his God on bended knee with his heart completely dedicated to God. King says, that's it. Send him into the lion's den. And in the midst of all these, can you imagine that moment? If there's ever a moment that anyone could ever cry out, God, why did you leave me? It was right here in the midst of all these lions. We have a, a puppy golden retriever at home. And sometimes she, it feels like she's a lion. We're always saying, no bite, no bite. I'm upstairs, you know, studying for my message. Every time someone comes home in my family, I hear them, no, honey, no, 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 no. You're not going to bite my servant. 
Daniel, if God could shut and close the mouths of the lions, can't he do something in our life that we're so worried about? Hence, we find Daniel trusting and believing in God. And we find ourselves here in chapter 7. Daniel has a dream. It's a weird one. You ever have a dream you wake up and go, what the heck was that? Makes absolutely no sense. You're in good company. This weird dream of all these animals and beasts of the field. And the animals represent four kingdoms. I, I just... I just wanted to show us on the screen here these representative of, of what God was bringing down through these dreams, not only of the ungodly, but to Daniel, that there will be four kingdoms that will seem to impose their authority over the earth. Each one of these kingdoms has a desire for world domination. The first one is Babylon. Of course, this is a sign for Babylon. The Medo-Persian army is the next one. And the next one is the Greek world, which Alexander the Great, by the way, he conquered the world at age 33. Thought he had everything in his hand. He died at 33 years of age. And of course now representative of the kingdom of Rome. I, I, I just want you to see without getting into too much detail for the sake of time that we have a God who knows the future, who is a sovereign God and gives light to those he gives revelation and light to those who call him by his name so that we know how all this plays out. We don't freak out and worry about when kingdom against kingdom and the economy is falling and all these bad things. The economy is going great right now, but don't hold your breath. I will not put my trust in kings of this world. I will only put my trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm just so grateful, which leads us up to Daniel chapter 8 now, which I want to read. That was just the introduction. Now I want to get into the text of Daniel chapter 8 because this is so good. Daniel has a second vision from God. And I think it's just, it's just we, we need to hear from God. We need to know where God is speaking, where he's leading, so that we can continue to follow in a world that is so against Christianity. We want to make a difference in the world. We want to make a dent in the kingdom of darkness through the kingdom of light. And Daniel gives us a good prescription on how to do that. So I hope, you, I hope you have your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 8. And if you don't, that's okay. You can just follow along. It's a lot of text, but it's the best place we can be, which is in the Word of God. Amen? In the third year of the, of the reign of, the, of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the providence of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram, furiously striking the ram, shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it, and the goat knocked it to the ground. 
and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. This is the representative of Alexander the Great through Greece that would take over the Medo-Persian army. It grew until it reached the host of heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on it on them. It set itself up as to be great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down because of the rebellion. The Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice. Now watch this. The rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. I just need to stop here and say there was one that was an offshoot of the four generals of Alexander the Great. One of them was named Antichius. He was the most evil of all the generals of that day. And through that lineage, through that line, the fourth one was an anti-type of Antichrist. He is the foreshadowing of the one. What he actually did, he was so evil, he was so bad, and he hated God's people that he decided to go into the temple and desecrate the temple. What's the one thing that would hurt God the most? The most holy of holies, the temple where his presence resided. He went in and literally told his, his men to take a pig and slaughter it on the most holy place, on the altar of God. Why was that so dishonoring to God? Because the Jewish people would not eat pig, they would not have sacrifice of a pig, and the most unholy thing that could be done was to slaughter a pig on the most holy place where God's presence resided. He was so evil, he was so bad, that he literally wanted to desecrate the people of God and the house of God. And we find ourselves in the midst of a huge prophecy And yet the whole time, I just wonder if the people of God were asking, God, where are you? Are you you with me in this? We need not pretend, oh no, good Christians don't ever wonder, God, where are you? Because we always know that God is there. Yes, that's true. But sometimes our heart can't catch up with our head. That's why I'm grateful for the word. All of a sudden, a man is speaking in the dream. Gabriel, and I believe another what we call Christophany in Scripture, Jesus, the man, the God-man, the man that came from heaven to die for our sins, is speaking about the two-horned ram. Alexander the Great has died. The four generals take over. And the one king that rises to power, God allows this to happen because he's foreshadowing. God is sovereign. God has a plan. Antiochus, the eighth ruler of the dynasty, is a shadow of the Antichrist. 
Revelation chapter 17, if you're taking some notes. Here's three things out of this text that I want us to see. Number one is this. God is sovereign. When it seems like life is spinning, when it seems like God doesn't answer, when it seems like God doesn't care, when it almost seems, should I even dare to say this, that God is working against you? He's not. He may be allowing some things to happen. Isn't there a Bible verse that says, draw near to him and he will draw near? Could it be that God is allowing this place of desolation and a place of wilderness and wondering, God, where are you? Because he wants us to develop something, a passion, a desire, a desperation to know him. If everything's always wonderful and always great, I don't need God. He may allow those times when we don't understand and we don't like it, and it almost seems like, God, you're not there, to, to, to stir up something within our heart. God, I am absolutely so desperate for you. God, I am so hungry for you. I long, God, to be in those moments where I feel the power of your Holy Spirit. I sense your presence, God. I know that you're there. I don't need to be told that. that. I know Jesus lives because he's come into my heart and he helped me. Which leads to number two. God has redeemed us. Did he redeem the nation of Israel? Absolutely. Was he patient with the people of God? Absolutely. Did he redeem us? Yes, because Jesus died on a cross and rose again. It is finished. Your salvation is paid for, man. John wrote, I write these things that you might believe you have received eternal life. That's the wonder of these prophecies. It was all pointing to the gospel. It was all pointing to the fact that Jesus laid down his life so we not only could have heaven, but we could have freedom while we live in this horrible place called Babylon. How in the world could those Christians still have joy in their heart? Because we know who the real king is. Which leads to number three. God will not abandon you. God will not abandon Daniel. God will not abandon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even those that were persecuted in the Babylonian takeover, the people of Israel that lost their lives, God will not abandon them. God makes promises, and God never breaks a promise. Jesus said through the pen of Paul in Romans 5, 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you grateful for that? So who's the ungodly? Oh, come on. I thought I was amongst real people at Mishabelle Christian Church. We're all ungodly. We're in a dangerous place when we start saying, well, that's the bad people. That's the people out there. That's the people that are living ungodly. We've all been ungodly. When we come to the fact that we, have, we, are, we are depraved without God, man. Aren't, we, aren't you so grateful for Jesus? You know, in, 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 years ago, I was in an inner city church. And all you have to do, man, is say the name Jesus, and they go nuts. Because they know they would be dead without Jesus. We need a little bit of that ghetto stuff here. We need a little bit of that raw stuff, right? We need a little bit of, I'd be dead without God. And I know he's with me. Because God, once he makes a promise, he'll never go back on it. Daniel is a look forward. For us, it's a look in the past in history to say, yes, God, you are sovereign. God, you are purposeful. God, you still have your eye on me. But it's also a look forward. I want you to be sober spiritually. I want you to be aware. I want you to know that the danger sign is that there will be one who even the Bible says will deceive the elect. He will fool those 
because he will appear to be like the Messiah. This is all throughout, you know, Daniel and Revelation. It all fits together wonderfully. It's almost like having the final exam before we take the test. You have the final exam. Don't miss the opportunity to pass the test. So when he comes as the mark of the beast and it appears for the first three and a half years, he's going to solve all the problem, which by the way, I don't know for sure if we're going to be here for that. We may be raptured out of this place, which I hope that's the way God's going to do it. But if he chooses to have us go through hell on earth, so be it. I mean, someone... Someone needed to remind the Apostle Paul that he was going through hell. He went through a beheading for the sake of Christ. We may have to go through the tribulation. I hope not, but we may have to. And it's so important that we cling to the word. We have to know the word so that we can recognize when the Antichrist is coming. Which leads me to the second part of this. I I, I just wanted to open the door to John chapter 11. If you just just want to make a note there, if you want to open your Bible, there's a scene that it seemed like God wasn't there. And there were two people who loved God. They loved Jesus. If I was to ask, you know, how many people here love Jesus with all your heart? Mary and Martha loved him. In fact, it's so cool because in chapter 11, we're going to make reference to the most amazing miracle that Jesus ever performed raising Lazarus from the dead. But in chapter 12, Mary's the one that goes to the house and weeps over the feet of Jesus and dries his feet with her hair because she's so grateful for who Jesus is and what he's done. Jesus, if you were here, if if you were here and you did what I asked you to do, Jesus, I asked you to do this and you weren't here, our brother wouldn't have died. So hence, go back to John 11, those first few verses in that text. It's interesting, Martha, who's the one who's so active. You know, Jesus comes to the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, their brother and sister. Jesus comes to the house and Mary's scurrying. We have to have the best lemonade for Jesus. We have to give him the best couch. We have to give him a place. Shh, quiet. She's scurrying around the house and Mary is sitting at his feet. Both are awesome. Both are good. Don't we just want to serve the Lord, serve him, give him our very best? And there's times when we just sit at his feet and we just listen to his voice, right? Mary's the one that sends forth because she's so active. She sends, she sends a messenger ahead that Jesus is already in Jerusalem. He's two days out, man. And Lazarus is sick. And it's not just the flu. He's really sick. I've seen this happen before. People with what he's got don't make it. So send the messenger ahead and tell Jesus to get back here to Bethany. You ever told God? Have you ever told God? I guess, I, you know, me and one of the few. God, you need to send revival here. You, we we want to see everybody get saved. We want to see the churches filled. By, by the way, we did the math. There's not enough churches in Mission Viejo to hold half the people who live in the city. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it happened? It's, it's a controlled chaos, man. People are getting baptized and saved all over the place. Everybody's talking about Jesus. We got to go, go to house churches. We have worship seven days a week, but we still got to go to house churches. People meeting in homes, so in love with Jesus. The whole society has changed. God, you got to do this now. Could it be that God is allowing? Nobody wants to go to church anymore. Well, you find people. You can come. To, that's awesome. But there are a lot of people out there who don't like church, who have been disillusioned with the church. Is, could it be that God is allowing this? I'm preaching to the preacher right now. 
Because I don't like this. I do not like seeing, op- if the open chairs, the open chairs should bother you. It, it pains my heart because that represents people that are lost, who need to be here. Could it be that God is allowing this to happen because he's preparing a remnant of people that are all in? All in for God. So when he brings the revival, see how I needed to hear this message. This message is just for me then. When the revival and the awakening comes, there'll be something of substance for people to be here. It's not just sitting in a service, singing a few songs, dropping a few bucks in the offering plate, listen to a message and go home, life unchanged. My life is changed. I'm all in for Jesus. I love this community of people. It's not just the church building. We're a community of people that so love God, we want to be a disciple of him. That was Mary and Martha. God, if you do it now, you know, some of the things that Jesus, is say, Jesus says, I don't like. There's one verse in here I don't like. It says he stayed two days away. He purposed to wait two days. Come on, God. We want the child now. We want to get pregnant now. We want to get married now. We want to be single. No. <laughs> we want the house paid off now. I want to buy the house now. I want that promotion now. I want that car now. I want that friendship back now. Friendship we had for 20 years, just poof, gone. I don't even know what happened. Anyone ever been there? Relationship just gone. God, I want it the way it was. God, do it now. That was Martha. Jesus, why are you staying two days in Jerusalem? Even the disciples start asking questions. And Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing here, but trust me, this happened so the glory of God will be on display. So when people come, when you invite your friends here and your enemies, right, you invite people, hey, come visit our church. You love our church. MVCC, it's great. You know, they got Krispy Kremes, good, you know, facilities. Preaching's a little eh, but you know, the music's awesome. And it's just the greatest group of loving people that you'll ever meet. And they come here. We want them to be touched by God. And we who trust in God, we trust him for the timing. So Jesus waits, and he waits, and he waits. And I love it. Jesus is never too busy for anything. He goes back to the town of Bethany, which he's been to many times before. And as he gets back to the town, he sees a memorial service. People are crying. People are weeping. He even says in that text that people were surrounding Mary and Martha. I mean, they had a community of people. It was their life group, man. They had people surrounding them. We're with you in this. We don't have answers. We don't know why he died. Yeah, and if Jesus would... I think Mary and Martha were a little bit angry with Jesus. Jesus approaches the tomb. Watch this. It has a stone rolled over it. If Jesus is a son of God, couldn't he just tell the stone to be moved away? But he told the people, remove the stone. Oh, I forgot one of the most important things in this text besides the miracle. Shortest verse in all the Bible. Come on, we can all memorize. You wanted to memorize more of scripture this year, right? Jesus, yes. Why? In just... 90 seconds, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why is Jesus? Jesus feels your pain, man. We have a God 
who empathizes with us. We have a God who understands our pain. I think there was a little bit of Jesus that hates death. He hates the fact that we got to go through this, getting older and, and all, Alzheimer's and dementia and cancer and all that stuff. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Jesus is sad. But yet Jesus sees the glory in all of it because he knows this is not the end. And so he weeps. He cries with Mary and Martha. And for those that are really hurting, now watch this. Come on, how many times have you felt like there's been something dead in your life and you just roll the stone over it? Right? You just roll the stone. Nope, I'll never be hurt again. I'm not going to let myself love again. I'm not going to get married again. Are you kidding me? I'm never going to have another child. I'm not taking that business opportunity. I lost everything last time. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to get closer to Jesus. I like it where I'm at right here on the outskirts. Jesus said, remove the stone. Come on, you have to do something. It's not just magic. It's not just Jesus just does it all. We participate with the Savior. When you find yourself, just like Israel and going back to Daniel, if there's anyone that could have moaned and groaned and complained, it would have been Daniel. God, where are you? What are you doing? Oh, the Medo-Persian army, the Babylonians, Greece, it just keeps coming. Where are you? Where's the deliverance? Where's the freedom? Jesus, you said you are the resurrection and the life. Where's the life? Why does it feel like it's so hard just to live for Christ? You've got to believe. You've got to know. As he stood at the city gate, Martha was there. Martha met him at the gate. Then Mary met him. Do you believe that I am the resurrection? And she said, yes, I believe. Jesus calls forth Lazarus, man. Wouldn't it have been cool to have been there? To be at that one, man, Jesus calls Lazarus from the dead. You know, some commentators, you probably heard this before, if Jesus didn't call Lazarus, every dead thing would have come back because his word is so powerful, man. And Lazarus comes forth. Life is changed. Everything is different. When it seemed like, God, you're not there, you don't care, Mary and Martha, oh my gosh, how could I have forsaken you? How could I have pulled back from you? And what I love about God is he doesn't cut them off. Well, you've, had, you've used up your credit line. We're done with this. Too many credit cards for you, spiritual credit cards. I'm not going to send you out another one. I just want to finish with this. I wish we could go like another hour because there's so much in Daniel and all this. But Mary and Martha, take me to the place. Take me to the place where Lazarus is dead. Can I just say something here? I just, I just need to say it. And I'm sorry if you're offended. I just need to say it. So many of us pretend with God. Oh, no, I don't feel that. Oh, no, I don't struggle with that. Oh, no, I'm not really feeling that. I'm not really angry right now about the fact that my father is not here anymore. Oh, no, I don't struggle with anger. And I just keep putting the stone Stone after stone after stone. And pretty soon my heart gets really callous and hard. Where does God want me to be? Sensitive to the leading of his Holy Spirit in me. So Mary and Martha, take me to the place. Take me to the place. 
is God saying that to you right now? I just think there's some folks in here right now that God is saying, take me to the place. Take me to the place of your depression. It's not like God doesn't understand it. Jesus was in a place of depression in the Garden of Gethsemane. So much so that he sweat blood. It was so intense. He was torn like a caged animal. I don't want to go to the cross, but I must go to the cross because I love everybody and I want them to be freed of, of all their sin. Take me to the place of your loneliness. I know you've been single for 14 years. I know he betrayed you. He betrayed your trust. I know that she cheated on you. I know that he took everything and left. I know that he hasn't paid his alimony, spousal support. I get it. I know. I know you're lonely. Take me to the place. Take me to the place of addiction. Take me to the place of the addiction. Take me to the bankruptcy of your heart. Because I'm not afraid of it. God's not afraid of it. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So just, just a couple of things to close with. I just, I just want to give you one or two things, and the Spirit certainly can do a much better job than I can, but it is one or two things to hang on. Say, this, this is what, God, you're telling me to do this week. One is, allow the redemption of Jesus to focus my life. I want him to be the focus of my life, just like Daniel, man. Daniel didn't care what people said. They didn't care whether they were going to throw him into the lion's den. His eyes were so focused on God. In the midst of, I'm sure he had questions. God, what are you doing? And I want to live in the light of the darkness of this world, right? Don't we want to do that? Don't we want to be a beacon on a hill? We got to go to the dark places and let Jesus be the light through us. And that may, that may require one or two of us here today, including myself, take me to the place. Let God know where maybe you felt like he let you down. Okay? Is that okay? And to know that God will never, never, ever leave us. God, we just thank you that, Lord, your word is so true. It's so right, God. Thank you for this amazing book of Daniel that we can look at it and go, yes, God, you are still in control. And God, I thank you in the midst of all that for reminding us today, God, that you will never leave us. We cling to you now, God. We draw near to you now as a, as a body, as a people, as a family. We draw near to you, the heart of your son, Jesus, and trust you, God, in the midst of not knowing, not understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Isn't, that's all for Jesus, right? That's just all for him. That's all for him. If there's anybody here that's... We're so glad you were able to join us today. If you'd like more information on this teaching or any other teaching, check out our website at mvcchome.org. Thank you.